It is easy for worship leaders to feel alone. There is tremendous pressure on us each week to perform, to lead, and to help direct an amazing experience of worship and connection to God. But it's so overwhelming. There's no place to go to talk through these unique challenges worship leaders face. Welcome to the table. Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of The Table. Uh, my name is Jason Squires, and uh, today, actually this whole month, we're, I should say we're talking about uh, the effects on your body if you don't take care of yourself with music and sound and kind of what that looks like. And today, uh, we're talking about sound, actually, and uh, what that means and what that can do for your body. Uh, and we are joined by Jeff Sandstrom. Jeff, how's it going? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, why don't you um, introduce yourself? Tell us all about you and... Um, kind of your background and who and where you're coming from. Sure. So I'm Jeff Sandstrom, as you said, and I'm uh, one of the co-founders of MXU, which is a technology resource for church production teams. We provide um, live events and uh, a video library to help teams kind of get better um, at what they do, but then also connect in community and get better at who they are in the process. So that's been kind of the, the main focus of my uh, work lately. But before that, I was a uh, touring audio engineer. I spent almost 10 years on the road with a guy named Chris Tomlin, where some of you guys might be familiar with his <laughs> music. Right. And We've uh, heard of him. We've heard of yeah, his music. Yeah. And uh, have been out with several other artists over the years, too. Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Lauren Daigle, um, some other big conferences and events like Passion and the Orange Conference and things like that. I was a part of North Point Community Church for a lot of years when we lived in Atlanta. So um, originally I was kind of a studio guy who made my way into live audio production through honestly getting involved with North Point and Passion. So it's been a long journey, but um, a really fruitful one. And it's been great to just see how God has provided opportunities for me to... Um, not just help individual artists, but I think to help the church as a whole with how we think about production and how we can all kind of get better together as we serve the church together. So it's, uh, it's great to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and right now you're out with the Dude Perfect Tour, which that sounds like a fun, that's a fun, uh, it's got to be yeah, on the other side of the sound world. It definitely the- is. It's a different set of challenges. You know, it's not mixing a band. Yep. I'm mixing uh, basically five DPA headset mics plus some handhelds in an arena that has over 100 dB of kids screaming the whole time. And uh, the guys stand basically in front of the PA for 90% of the show. So the whole thing is an exercise in game before feedback and figuring out tools to get clarity out of their sound without... Um, Having the having the PA take off, so it's but it's really fun. It's that's not just show, a set it and walk set it and walk away kind of a thing. It's, gotta, it is not. That's a it live. is not a set and forget thing. My my hands are on the faders the whole time. So uh, it's crazy. As I mentioned at the top, we're kind of this month we're talking about sound and um, the the effects that sound can have on people and long term effects and when not mixed right and just even feedback and 
all of those things, what you can actually walk away from permanent hearing damage. And um, it's kind of a depressing topic, but I think it's important to talk about because it's, I mean, it's, you just takes once to have problems. And yeah. um, every venue is different. I mean, every venue, every room looks different. But what would you say is a good rule of thumb for like DB levels in a room? What's a kind of a good, I know, like I said, everything's different, but like what, yeah. walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, it is, it is different um, depending on the, the material itself, depending on the size of the room, the, you know, the content, you know, it's, it's, and the sound of the audience. I mean, so it's really difficult to come up with sort of a blanket statement that says, you know, if you look at a meter and it says X number, then it's perfect because it really is a widely variable scale. And, you know, audio is measured in a scale that is logarithmic anyway. So it's, it's not a linear measurement. In other words, 100 dB is not twice as loud as 50 dB. Mm. Um, the way it works is it's, you know, it's an exponentially driven scale. And so um, basically for every, for every 6 dB of increase, sorry, let me say that again. The louder you get, there is basically a, f- a few dB makes a bigger difference in the perceived volume level. Okay. So you get to a point at which, you know, a difference of 10 dB on a meter, the perception is that something is twice as loud or half as loud. So when you're talking about the difference between 80 dB and 90 dB or 90 and 100 you know, the difference between 80 and 90 is not as great as 90 and 100. And oh, so it's, it's, it's a very important thing for people to understand. Because if you have an executive pastor walking around the room with a DB meter, and he comes up to the front house person and says, hey, this is way too loud. Well, how do, how do you know what way too loud is? So that's, right. th- th- there is, that's the baseline question. I think yep. there's a couple things to keep in mind. One, OSHA the Occupational Safety Hazards Association has some printed guidelines on what long-term exposure limits should be. Now, it's again, it's too easy, though, to take it as an arbitrary number. For example, on their website, they'll tell you that a jackhammer is 110 dB or whatever it is. Well, it's dangerous if you're exposed without hearing protection to that jackhammer for an extended period of time. But if you have a, a burst at 110 dB for five seconds, it's not going to necessarily do long-term damage. But the, the OSHA standards are there to protect people from long-term hearing damage at long exposure levels. So it's, you know, in a worship service at a church, you know, think in terms of a 20-minute worship set, you know, there are dynamics in a song. And so there are parts of a song that might be 80 dB and there are parts of a song that might be 95. You're not going to be at 95 for the whole 20 minutes. And even if you were, that's not going to necessarily do long-term damage. But I think what gets people in trouble is not necessarily the loudness, but rather the tonality of that volume. In other words, if if you're at 95 dB and a female vocal is on the verge of feedback at 3 kilohertz, that sounds really loud. 
But if you're at 95 dB in a well-rounded, warm, punchy, impactful mix, it's not perceived as loud because those mid-range, those upper mid-range frequencies aren't poking you in the head yeah. like they would in a, in a bad mix. So I think for people who look at a number as sort of a defining factor, there's a little bit of a misguiding thing there. I think the important thing is to not go over a threshold that's unsafe and to, it's important to have a conversation as a team. Like it's not just the audio engineer or the worship pastor's responsibility. It's leadership. It's, you know, senior pastor. It's okay. This is what we want the sound of our gatherings to be in terms of tonality in terms of sub-energy, in terms of impact. Because um, chances are you're going to get complaints no right. matter what you do. Right. Um, but you need to realize that when you walk in the room for pre-service, if there's pre-service music playing and 500 people having normal conversation, the volume in the room is going to be about 80 dB. And so it's, you know, for, for a church to say, we can't exceed 90 dB in our services that's a little arbitrary and misguided. It's somebody who doesn't really understand what that means. Because if they go to the symphony tomorrow night at Symphony Hall and they're playing Mahler or Beethoven, there are going to be moments in that show with no microphones and no PA that the audience is going to get something 95 to 100 dB just from the orchestra. So a lot of times people, when they complain or when they want to set a standard, an arbitrary number, it has more to do with the fact that there are Electric, electric guitars and drums on stage, or it's a it's a real thin kind of high mid-range mix that doesn't have a lot of body to it. So I would say be careful about a dB level in terms of setting a standard that you can't exceed. Now, there are some venues, though, that do have limits that you can't exceed or you'll get fined. Those are pretty high, though. But like, you know, Red Rocks Amphitheater, for example, in Denver, um, they have a pretty strict dB limit, where if you exceed, you know, a certain decibel level for over a minute, you're going to get a $10,000 fine. And that's wow. just, but it's, that's based on safety and it's totally. about the sound, sound in the neighborhood because it's an outdoor venue and all that. So there's, it's a long conversation in terms yeah, of no. rule of thumb though. I would say if, I mean, if, if you're, if you're living in the 90 to 94 a weighted at the loudest points of the song, you're probably in good shape. Now, there are still going to be people who think that's too loud, yep. especially older folks. If, if they have hearing aids, you know, the way hearing aid technology works, it's, it's going to be perceived as louder to them because a hearing aid is a microphone. And so they're basically taking that sound of the room and amplifying it even further to some degree. So they're going to perceive it as louder. So... You know, it, there's a lot of factors that go into totally. it. Totally. No, I think, I mean, you hit the nail there. Where you, I, didn't, I didn't know this, and I've been doing this for a long time, that, that the, number, the, the, the number climbs as it, it, it's bigger. It does, the, the increase is different. And so that's, um, I think a lot of times, too, those decisions are being made by people who look at dollars and cents and, like, spreadsheets and numbers. And so it's easily definable by a number. Um, yeah. But there's more to it, which I think is a great... Um, a great aspect there. Yeah, uh, I would be more concerned oh, about, 
I'd be more concerned about impact rather than loudness. I think if people could reframe the conversation to go, okay, is, is what's coming out of the PA, is it, is it hitting people in a way that is impactful emotionally? Is it conveying the message of the song? Um, because, you know, if we're singing about how much we need to, you know, praise loudly and the mix is really soft and anemic, then you're not really calling people to do what the song says. You know, so I think there's, there's times that we need to be intimate and quiet and, you know, reflective. And there's times that we need to be celebratory and, you know, a little more bombastic. And I think it's up to the engineer and the worship leader to work in partnership together to figure out where, you know, when those moments need to happen and how we work together to make them as impactful and effective as they can be. Yeah. Now, loud loud doesn't mean a full sound. I think sometimes we just make things louder to make them sound fuller. Um, how what's this? I've been asked this question before, and I want which is why I want to bring it in here. Was how can I run sound uh, maybe at a lower dB, but still get a good mix to where it's the, it, the room feels full? What are some what are yeah. some good like tips for that? Man, it's a again. You're like, it's in such 90 a, seconds, go. No, <laughs> it's, it, it's such a deep question because yeah. it really is. But I think it's all about impact. I think it's, it's about finding those moments in the song. You know, I, I think the band can really help with this because, you know, some, some smaller churches, you know, they might have a volunteer team who is doing good just to play all the right notes at the right time. You know, so I think as you move beyond that in terms of your musicality and your expression and your arrangements as a band i think if we can find moments where the arrangement dictates some of that ebb and flow you know to be impactful that's going to help like again in partnership with the sound team the stage team can play parts that are distinctive enough that hey if guitar two doesn't come in until the first chorus then that's going to raise the level of impact mm. just by the fact that they were laying out for the intro in the first verse and now the chorus hits and there's a level of dynamics that are more dramatic just because their voice is now in the conversation you know and so things like that i think can really help but in terms of just the the sonic quality of a lower volume impactful mix i would say to engineers really focus on what's happening in the low mid range um in that sort of 250 hertz range where it's like it could be maybe muddy but it could also be a place where a synth pad or an electric guitar could find a place to live that can bring body to the mix mm. that um, kind of thickens things up a little bit to help it be perceived as more uh, punchy and impactful um, and then pay attention to the upper mid-range like I mentioned before the, um, the female vocal range is fighting for the same space that the electric guitar and the piano and the cymbals, like there's a lot of information in that upper mid-range. So we have to be judicious about who's going to, you know, whose voice is going to lead the conversation, so to speak. Because yep. um, if you've got a lot of things competing for that same sonic real estate, it's too easy for it to come across as not just... Um, a little aggressive and maybe strident, 
but also confusing. And, you know, our ears, especially in that upper mid-range, you know, our, our ears are designed to perceive, you know, speech. It's that upper mid-range, the sibilance of consonants and the, you know, the clarity of conversation is really where our ear wants to go. So if you've got a, a vocal and electric guitar and a piano and an acoustic guitar all in that same range, we don't want our ears to have to work extra hard to discern what's most important. So it's about finding space, whether that's through EQ or panning or, you know, maybe arrangement yep. that we're able to kind of find the most important thing to center our attention on, which is probably the vocal. Oh, this is so good. Um, let's talk about the ministry aspect of volume. Um, like what, how should we, what are some way, good ways to respond to people when they come up and have those complaints? Because the, the immediate response often is to like either shut them down or I can, I know I've, I've been in a lot of places where sound guys, it's like, it's not too loud. It's uh, everyone complains. And what are some good ways to just like, what's to minister the ministry side of sound? Like yeah. kind of walk us through that a little bit. Sure. So there's two things that I would say. One is if you're getting a complaint, like if you don't think it's too loud and if you have a meter that shows you that it's, you know, X number, let's say it's 90 dB a weighted, that's, that's really not too loud. You're not, you're not damaging anyone's hearing at that point. But if somebody comes up and says that's really too loud, don't just dismiss it because your dB meter says a certain number, because if they're perceiving it as too loud, then there's probably something in their comment that is true. They may not be right in their explanation of it, yep. but if their perception is that it's too loud, then you have to acknowledge that there's probably some truth in there somewhere. So my first reaction would be, internally, I would go, okay, what is it about this sound that makes them feel like it's too loud? And it might be just that you take the electric guitar fader and you drop it 3 dB, all of a sudden, the perceived volume problem goes away. Or you EQ a little bit of that high mid-range out of the vocal. You know, because a lot of times volume complaints are really complaints about tonality. So, you know, adding some compression or adding some EQ that takes away some of the harshness of the tonality is probably going to be a better fix yep. in terms of perceived volume than just pulling the master fader down. Now, sometimes you need to, you need to pull the master fader down, but the, you know, just acknowledge the fact. So the first step is acknowledge the fact that there's probably truth in their complaint somewhere. But the other thing I would say is, and this is the team piece, this is the ministry piece. There needs to be a vision from leadership on down to the volunteers that says, this is what we want the sound of our community to be, mm. you know, and we can, use a lot of different words to describe that, but in your context, within your expression of the church, you guys need to define for yourselves what your sound is. It's not just, hey, we're going to play this set list, and it's Hillsong, Passion, Bethel, and Elevation in a, you know, in a rotation, and that's our sound. No, because your band is not Passion or Elevation or Hillsong. Your band is your group of people who are trying to execute these songs well. So if you don't have, 
a, you know, if you don't have a great acoustic guitar player, then maybe acoustic guitar is not the focus of your sound, you know, but whatever it is, it's yep. like your team needs to define the sound of your, of your church and the, the loudness level so that if you have a volunteer behind the desk and somebody comes up and says it's too loud, they have a pathway then to pass that person on to someone above their pay grade yep. to say, hey, we've decided that this is what this is supposed to be. But hey, here's the email address that you can send and have a conversation outside of the context of the heat of the moment of the service, because I've got a lot of work to do here. But we, we do have a way for you to maybe get some clarity on why we have it as loud as we do, or why our sound is what it is, or why we have drums on stage. Whatever the case may be, it's like yep. there's, there's a pathway to leadership that can you can not just deflect, but you can offload some of those comments because it's part of the vision of the church. It's not just an arbitrary decision that the sound guy makes. Yep. It's actually, no, I'm, I'm following our agreed-upon vision. So if you have a problem with that, you can take it up with the people who manage the vision of the church. And then helps you filter the conversation, too, to go, totally. here's the answer, here's a reason for the answer. That's huge. Right. And it's not just one person making the decision. Right. It's, no, we've, we've met as a team, and we've decided this is what it is. Um, and so we're, we're comfortable and confident with what we're doing because we've agreed that this is what our sound is going to be. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, I want to chat about in-ears because I think that's uh, we've all kind of gone that direction. And, I mean, a lot of churches are headed that direction or heading that direction. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, we talked about it a little bit ago. I know it's, not a, it's no secret that loud noises can do damage. Um, but what are some, what are some in-ear strategies to help us protect our hearing? I've, for, um, I had an issue at, several weeks ago, had some uh, feedback and loud, poorly mixed in-ears. So I'm actually dealing with some, some hearing issues from that. And kind of what sparked this conversation uh, was yeah. just to go, like, how do we, how do, we do that? Because we're handing these to these people and go, we're putting this into your ears and we're pumping in a certain volume. And, like, let's, 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 let's talk a little bit about that. What are some uh, strategies to help us protect that? Yeah. Boy, there's a lot to talk about here, too. So for, and this is, this is really broad, so yeah, we, can do a, we can do a deeper dive at some other time. We'd lo love to do that. Or with experts that are way more smart than I am about this. But I would say a couple of things. First, if, if a team is new to in-ears, there is a strange sensation that you need to get adjusted to in terms of how you're hearing things. Because the way our ears are created, you know, we have, you know, it's, it, we don't hear the world in just a left-right perspective. We hear binaurally and spatially. You know, we hear things in 3D. We perceive sounds that are in front of us, behind us, to the left, to the right, above and below. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very different thing when all of a sudden now we cram these headphones into people's ears and they're sealed off from the outside world and now they're expected to perform just as well as they would in an acoustically open setting. You know, a lot of people who don't like the sound of their own voice when they hear it recorded, that gets amplified perceptually when we close off our ears because we hear the sound in our own head right. as well as what's coming into the ear, in the, in the earphones. 
So a couple of things we can do to sort of mitigate some of that. First, I would say audience mics need to be part of the equation. And so basically that's just a couple of mics on either side of the stage directly underneath the PA that you can basically have them as inputs on your console, on your monitor console, that you can basically dial in some of the sound of the room and the sound of the audience response into your mix um, because it is quite unhealthy to only listen through one ear. You know, some people, they say, well, I'll just pull an ear out and then I can hear the crowd. If you're only listening through one ear, then what's in that ear mix is typically going to be louder than it needs to be because you're compensating for what you're not hearing on the other ear. And it can be really damaging to and, and cause balance problems and vertigo issues and other things if your ears aren't both hearing the same thing. So uh, putting audience mics into the, the, that mix is going to help. I would also say um, to a person mixing monitors or to a person wanting to get their mix in their monitors, most of the time people say, I need more of this, I need more of this, I need more of this, I need more of myself. And by the end of sound check, they've just added more, 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 more. Everything has gotten louder, and it's not more clear. It's just louder. So I would say, if I was a monitor engineer, I would say, let's see, they're asking for more of X. Okay, what can I give them less of that would make the perception be that they got more of X? Because they don't need to have a louder mix. They need to have a clearer mix. So for anybody who's brand new to in-ears, we need basically three things. We need a pitch, a pitch reference, a time reference, and ourselves. So don't think in terms of your inner mix as being the perfect stereo CD-level mix. Think first in terms of pitch, time, and me. So for pitch, it might be keys. It might be acoustic. It might be tracks. Whatever it is that's the most foundational pitch reference for you to be able to sing and play in tune, that's what you need. Then you need a time reference, whether that's a click track or a hi-hat or an acoustic guitar. Whatever's the most in time, that's, that's what you need. And then you need some of yourself. And then everything else that's in your mix or in your input list can be added to taste. But think in terms of pitch, time, and me as the three primary things. And then secondarily, instead of asking, what can I get more of? What can I get less of that would give me the perception of having more of what I think I need? And would that, would that strategy also work in uh, front of house mix too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me though, for front of house, you mean if you're mixing ears from front of house? Or no, if you're mixing, if you're mixing the like the front of house. Oh. The, 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 I'm talking about the, the strategy of taking something away to, making, to make something to make something. Yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the perception is, yeah, because if you just push faders higher and higher, at some point you're going to run out of headroom. Right. So I would say, yeah, there are times, especially in those, in those areas that are competing, like guitars, keys, vocals. It's like if I just hear this wall of sound and I need to get some clarity, then it might be that my two electric guitars get panned a little bit so that there's some separation. Or it could be that, you know, the, the lead guitar, you know, I'm, I do have that person on a fader so that during the turnaround between the verse and the chorus or, you know, coming into the bridge or the intro or the outro, when they have that lead line, I'm going to boost it, but then I'll tuck it back during the rest of the song. Or, you know, whatever it is, it's like thinking in terms of, I, I think 
subtractive thinking is probably a good strategy. Um, definitely with EQ. Like if I'm, if I'm EQing a mix, I want to think of what can I subtract frequency-wise to shape the tonality in a certain way. So if, if things sound muddy, I don't want to add high information. I want to take out the mud. Mm -hmm. So I want to subtract, like if it's a synth pad that feels really thick, for example, I might start by taking out 200 hertz rather than adding 2K. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. So subtractive EQ, subtractive approach to monitor mixing, maybe even sometimes a subtractive approach to front of house is a good way of thinking, yeah. I love it. You mentioned the room mics on the in-ears. Do you have some like church-friendly budget recommended like because a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are going to be you know the smaller church like do yeah. you have some like like just these are just good quality mics because then you go open, open up Sweetwater's catalog and it's like there's a hundred options like what yeah. are what are some good um yeah so you don't necessarily have to have top of the line shotgun mics that are you know big arena level concert quality or yeah TV broadcast level. I think I would say a condenser mic is generally a better choice um, because you can get a little more clarity out of the top end, and um, that usually helps with, especially with applause and singing. You know, some of that the, the sounds that you want in those mics. Yep. Um, but it doesn't have to be super expensive. I think just a matched pair of some decent quality mics is a great place to start. Um, and then I would also say in terms of placement, I would put them on the either side of the stage, you know, in line, basically vertically with the, with the bottom of the PA so that you're not in front of the PA, you're not too far upstage, you're kind of right at the downstage edge and um, about head high of people in the room. So you don't want them so low that you're picking up individual voices and you don't want them so high that you're just getting no clarity. You just have this sort of random room sound. You yep. want to get some singing in it. So um, assuming that your people are singing. Yeah, right. Um, of course. <laughs> but yeah, to, to have them about head high, either side of the stage, condenser mics. And then if you have stereo ears, to pan them in the ears relative to their position on stage. I love it. Um, so our podcast is called The Table, um, and I, I believe good conversation happens over food. Uh, it's just kind of the kind of show it. What, if we're coming over to the Sandstrom house, what is, what are you putting on the table? What is like your, what oh, is like your, your meal, your meal to, to when, when guests are over or your meal that you like to do? Man, that's such a good question. So I, I really do like to barbecue meats. And so, um, if, if it's a, if it's a big meal, I think we probably would have some brisket maybe okay, um, or some something along those lines. Yep. Uh, but if I'm just like if my wife and I are cooking for another couple, then we've got a couple of, couple of favorites. My wife's family on her father's side is Dominican. Okay. And there are a couple of really great Dominican dishes that we make that are served over rice. It's like a stewed chicken over rice with a salad and, you know, some... Oh yeah, some bread and it's it's just comfort food, really. Totally, but it's it's delicious. Um, so yeah, I th I always think in terms of comfort food. I like 
I like steak. I like meat and potatoes, really. I, I'll eat anything, but I'm kind of a meat and potatoes guy. So you're probably not going to come over to our house for fish very often. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's right. But fish is gonna, not meat. It's not. I mean, it is, but no, it's in the no. we're like talking. Let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be <laughs> but we're, we're going to do it right. Yeah, we love. Now, you're we barbecue, love, or do you also do, do are you a smoker? I, you, yeah, I like to I like to smoke meat as well. I don't have a Traeger. I'm old school. I do charcoal and oh wow, you know, like smoke. Like so. you actually do smoking. I I turn on my 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 smoker and I push the on button. Come back later and it's done. It's it's yeah. the greatest invention. But uh, you're you I'm do com- it actually. You really do it. I'm completely analog. Yeah, <laughs> completely analog. I love it. Uh, how can we how can we connect with you? How, what's what are some ways uh, we can? Yeah, you mentioned so, MXU um, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So the best way to connect with MXU is through our website and our podcast. And so um, getmxu.com is the URL for the podcast. Or for the, sorry, getmxu.com is the URL for the website. Yep. And that has information about our live events, our podcast, and um, our subscription product, which is a collection of over 500 videos of training around audio, video, lighting, and leadership. So... Um, it's a great resource. If, if your team is not a subscriber, you should be because yep. we try to provide really good training tools for production teams. Um, so check that out for sure. And then if you want to connect with me to ask a question or to hang out, um, my Instagram is MXU Jeff and I can be found on Facebook as well. So, and I, I want to just follow that up with um, I would highly recommend people check out that MXU. The, the, the stuff is just so good, and the, um, it is and it is the most budget friendly. A lot of those sometimes people think like I can't afford that. We don't have money for, but it's so budget friendly and ready for you to just jump in and. Well, thank and, you. Yeah, yeah, we try to we try to make it so that every church can be a subscriber because we really we started it so that we could get better ourselves by challenging each other's process and just trying to find clarity around how we approach things. And we want uh, everybody in the church to be able to get better as well. So we try to provide really affordable resources to make that happen. So in um, in all reality, everybody knows when it doesn't sound good. Like it's everything, everybody knows when it's something doesn't sound right. And so this is just like, everything's going to, everybody's going to benefit out of it. Great. So Jeff, I appreciate you taking time today. And, uh, it is my um, pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having me. It's been great. No worries. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.